Welcome to this week's episode of the Comeback Girl podcast. My guest this week is Lucy Standing. She's the founder of Vuvo. This service allows people thinking about a career overhaul or relaunch to gain first-hand experience in their chosen field. As a trained psychologist, Lucy looked to the evidence as to how work shadowing improves the likelihood of success in a role. Vuvo allows people to pay a small fee and have a phone call with an expert in the industry that they're thinking about. This expert gives them a no-holds-barred account of what their work routine actually entails. Based on this, the applicant will spend a day shadowing on the job to see what it's really like. Lucy shares some accounts of where this experience has powerfully influenced the applicant's career choices. She is a pragmatist who believes in acting quickly once the evidence is there. This just-do-it attitude sees her raising three children, setting up two businesses and acting as vice chair of the Association for Business Psychologists. What I admire about Lucy above all this is that she acts as an advocate for returners. She's helping to make the market for those lacking in the confidence to do it for themselves. Be inspired by Lucy. So I was just bursting with questions because you're so fascinating. Let's start with how you've ended up in this position running your portfolio of, is it Vive or Viva? Um, So it's Vuvo, which really stands for View of Vocation. And then the other one is Vive.Work, which I guess is just, you know, enjoy work. Um, I spent two years in France, so it's like a little link to that. I'm in a very privileged position where, because I'm in my mid-40s, most of my basic needs have been met. You know, mortgage has been paid off. I've been okay. My husband does all right. And so really what I'm doing is self-indulgent. If I was to be working for somebody else, I still think it's the issue that I would struggle to get the holiday time that I want to spend time with my children. And I do have a strong purpose and sense of drive to try and achieve some of the things that I want to achieve. And I think in all honesty, I'm, I'm one of those people, I just get fed up with people who talk all the time and give ideas, but then don't act. Mm. I would rather act and not get it right than whine about things and feel I'm not doing my best to try and change the status quo. You say on your LinkedIn profile, I think it is, that you feel really strongly that we need to change the way that we're recruiting. So can you say a little bit about that? Yeah, most of the decisions that we make in our life, we improve and we make better when we start to have a proper experience of whatever it is that we're going to make a decision about before we do it. So if I give you the example of buying a house, it's quite a big commitment. You probably wouldn't buy one unless you've actually gone and viewed it and had a look around because you can get all the details on a piece of paper. But actually, when you get there, somehow the orientation, the view out of the windows, the sounds of maybe the train track down the road, the state of the hallways in the communal areas, you actually need to see it to make a proper decision. Getting married to somebody, you probably don't just marry someone without dating them first. Mm -hmm. So in most realms of life, we make a better decision when we experience it. Mm -hmm. And yet when it comes to the world of recruitment, we're expected to just walk into a job completely blind. And actually, the person who's empowered in making that decision about our life is the person who's interviewing us. The best method of assessment to identify future potential in a job 
that we currently have is asking people to do a general mental ability test and combining that with some form of maybe integrity test or maybe a work sample of some description. Mm -hmm. At no point are we turning around to people and saying, you know what, why don't we just get you to come in and experience the job for a while? Now that is starting to happen with things like internships and apprenticeships and more power to it, the more that it should, because what that starts to do is it enables self-selection. I don't know anyone who has ever wanted to do a job that they know they are going to suck at, for want of a better word. Mm. And so you give them a chance to come in and identify if that's going to be something they're going to be good at or not. And you'll start to improve the predictive validity of your decisions because self-selection is so powerful. And is that way of thinking breathe life into Vivo? Yeah. So, I mean, I used to run graduate recruitment for Chase Manhattan because I am that old. So it was a long time ago. <laughs> but when I was there, I did introduce internship. And with the interns, let's say we had 35 people come in or 35 people we would make a job offer to out of, say, 50 that would come in for the summer. Mm-hmm. Out of those 35, a good six, seven or eight would turn around and say, I never want to work in an investment bank ever again. But these were people wow. we wanted to hire, but they chose not us. They wanted something else. For the remaining people who accepted a position, we then assessed them versus the grads that came in who had no experience, no idea of really what they were getting into. And shock horror, two years down the line, the people who had been interns were earning more bonus as a percentage of their salary, but they were also rating themselves as being happier at work. So on every single metric that counts, the interns were performing better for themselves, but for the business. So that evidence can be replicated hundreds of times. So if you look at evidence, there's a meta-analysis by someone called Gene Phillips in 1998, exactly the same thing. The medical world does this. There's a big nursing study last 2016, Morella and Dettigin, looking at the number of nurses that will actually complete their diploma because they've had chances to shadow. And it increases by a factor of 60%. It's incredibly powerful. How are you closing the gap with vivo on some of our terrible recruitment processes what i'm doing is i'm giving people a chance to test drive what it is that they're thinking of doing before they commit so let's say for example so i had one guy who was a partner in a private equity business spent an entire year planning the the craft brewery he was going to run he'd identified brewery he was going to buy um it was into the millions of pounds And after an entire year, he got the logo, he knew what ingredients, he'd been brewing beer in his kitchen. He went and shadowed a brewery for a day. And at the end of it said, you know what, it's cold, smelly, my back aches, everyone around is sort of in their 20s. I'm actually not going to get the amount of sort of strategy and uh, I guess the focus on numbers that I really enjoy. Um, So what he's done instead is he's bought something called the Beer Retail Boutique, which retails lots of different brands of craft beer. So he identified in a day that that was not going to actually be the right path for him, but he's done something that's related because the experience gave him more insight. And if I think about another woman, so we had someone called Mary who for 20 years had been a chartered accountant, but always her kind of leisure hobby, if you like, was working on her sewing machine, doing all sorts of bits and pieces, always like the idea of potentially doing things like handbags and um, accessories. So she spent a day with a woman called Susanna Hunter. And at the end of it, she then realized, okay, it's actually not that scary. I mean, the the crafty bit I can do, but now I know something about what suppliers to go to. Now I know something about how to market a product. Now I know something about what to pay workers. She's actually moved country. She's now bought a factory and she employs 10 staff. Amazing. So real life. 
so did Mary come to you and say, how does it work? How does the process work? I'm, I'm thinking about a career pivot. Do I contact uh, Vivo saying, this is what I want to look at? Or do, can I come in and ask you for a diagnosis of the type of thing I should be looking at? You can, the way that it works at the moment is you go to the website, you can search around, a bit like buying a house. You can search through the various experts that we have on the site contact one ask to go and have usually it works with an initial phone call of about half an hour mm-hmm. and then if that phone call doesn't put you off then you can go and spend whatever it might be so each expert has a different experience shall we say so some jobs are much easier to shadow than others you shadowing a florist is quite straightforward you get up very very early in the morning you go to the market you then go to the shop you then set everything up you serve customers you learn about the point of sale terminal how to wrap things up which supplies them So that's quite straightforward. If you're a book author, actually, you don't want to sit next to someone who's writing a book for a whole day. That's just really, really dull. So each expert crafts their own follow-up experience. So for example, our book author, it'll be a two-hour meeting just in a coffee shop, but she will bring to that meeting her thoughts on the chapter that you sent her. Um, She will bring letters from editors that she's received that are both rejection, but then also actually we really like your content. She'll talk to you about the literary festivals that you might want to attend. She'll talk to you about at what point you can start negotiating, at what point you need to sell a certain amount of books, what you can expect to earn from that, um, you know, or not. Surprisingly, very few authors live off the income of making their books, so I'm finding out. So each experience is very different depending on the expert itself. Can you tell us a few more case studies? When I started this whole enterprise, I was honestly doing it for the woman returner because in my own head, that was what I was seeing. A bunch of women at the school gate who, for want of a better word, are a bit bored, mm-hmm. wanting to go back to work, um, not necessarily having the confidence to move forward with whatever it might be, you know, the cupcake store that they want to run or the Pilates instructor they want to become. However, it's really kind of not turning out like that. The people who tend to come to me, and this was a surprise, are the people who I would describe them as being people who have harder job moving around socially, as in social mobility for them is more of an issue. Mm -hmm. Because if you think about it, and I guess this is is the surprise for me anyway, if you think about it, a very well-connected, confident white male who wants to change jobs can probably contact a private equity person or a fashion designer or a coffee shop owner, whatever it is, and ask them to go out for a cup of coffee and buy them a piece of cake or whatever it is and pick their brains for free. Now that confident white male will get more connections and will get more people accepting their phone call and will be more entertained as in they're more likely to have people say yes to them. The people who really struggle that do not get that in any way, shape or form will be, for example, the 45 year old Nigerian mother who hasn't worked ever because they got married at say 21, 22. They've had three or four children, but they're passionate about fashion. And they really want to, they want to kind of shape their new, their idea for their African textile designs into something to do, you know, into fashionable products. But you try and get anyone in the fashion industry to take you seriously, to answer the phone, to go out for a cup of coffee, you will not get anyone accept. So if now you pay £30 for a phone call and you talk to a fashion designer and you form a connection and you then say, actually, I am quite interested in this. That has really whetted my appetite. From what you've described so far, I think I can take the next step. 
So then they pay and spend a half day with them or a full day, whatever it is. And that tends to be the people who are using it. So that, for example, you know, is another case study, someone called Rosetta. And that was exactly her, her frustration. The world is full of people who want to take your money to say, that will say to you, yes, I'll help you launch your business. I'll be your business coach. I'll take money off you. I'll do your search engine optimization. Amazon will want to list your products. They'll tell you they'll sell really well. They won't give you any advice, guidance on pricing, on suppliers, packaging, anything like that. So, um, you know, Rosetta spent a day with our fashion designer, a woman called Ali Taylor Mapletoft, and she's completely turned her business model around she's had much stronger advice about her packaging her suppliers so she's and they are actually continuing a relationship that's not something i guarantee but that is something that is kind of featuring and happening and there are several people in those sorts of situations i would say and i can just see rosessa in my mind being so driven and motivated and fired up having finally had this opportunity to unveil this other side of herself um, mm-hmm. which, is, which is why I love this space of encouraging people back to work who are so gifted and skilled, they just need to be able to describe those gifts and skills to the right people. It's such a brilliant concept, Lucy. I think I've been following you for a long time and I think you are amazing. We need to talk about Vive as well. The way that digital marketing works is that people search for things that they know exist let's say someone is thinking about becoming a business psychologist. What they will probably type in is things like, how do I become a business psychologist? And even though I can write a brilliant blog and do the right kind of URLs on terms like that, you're behind every single university that does a master's in business psychology, you're behind every psychologist that has a blog site. So it's almost too difficult to win that marketing battle. So I thought, I know, I'm gonna do another business, which then helps to create a market for what Vivo does. And so the idea with Vive Work is working with companies that need to make people redundant for, for whatever reason. I mean, we, we've all seen it. Maybe it's a merger and acquisition. Maybe it's some part of the business is underperforming. New form of technology means a whole load of jobs no longer need to be done. And for something like that, then actually the outplacement offer that most organizations provide, I think is genuinely dull. I think it's old school and I think it's lazy. They will tell people at the worst, most lowest point of confidence in their lives they'll spend time working out what their interests are and inspiring them to to take the next step but then they don't actually help them take the next step it might put them in touch with another recruitment agency but at no point are they actually doing anything particularly constructive about getting them to spend time with somebody if they're actually thinking about transitioning it'll be a case of go off and do some research but then they're not actually joining the dots so i think because people do search for outplacement offers then I'm hoping that what Vive Work will do is help provide a market for Vivo. Which brings me on to my next question. Mm-hmm. You are also, in your spare time, in inverted commas, a vice chair for the Association of Business Psychologists. Yeah. Um, and I believe that's on a voluntary basis. Yeah. How do you balance your portfolio of work? Uh, so genuinely not particularly well. Um, you know, I missed a family dinner last night because I was on a conference call until 8.30. Um, I'd love to be able to say I've got a wonderful system for organizing anything, everything. But I, I don't. I regularly forget about meetings. I forget to do phone calls when I should. The one thing that I don't do, though, is I'm never late. So if I've committed to do something, deliver. If I've said I'll get an email to them by Friday or if I've said I will, 
you know, if I'm going to turn up at a training course or whatever it is, you know, those things I will always attend. I'll always be on top of the ABP work because it is voluntary. Nobody is expected to put in full time hours. So every person on the board is a volunteer. And I, I think I think because we're all volunteers, actually, we're all very forgiving of each other. It's actually pretty laid back and quite relaxed. So if I feel like I need to do something, I don't need to go through five layers to do it. So being effective in an organization like the ABP is actually quite easy because if you have an idea, you make it happen. If it's a mistake, people will be pretty forgiving. So there's a huge amount of trust and autonomy because we're all doing it for the right reason. We're doing it because we care. And I think from that perspective, we're all quite supportive. Where does all this motivation come from? Do you think that motivation can be learned? There's a couple of different words for it. I mean, whether you want to call it drive or motivation, yeah, it's kind of the same thing. But we're all driven by sort of four principal drivers, really. So drive to acquire, drive to defend, drive to learn, um, drive to bond. And I wouldn't really say you can learn motivation, but it's certainly something that changes over time. So, you know, for example, in your 20s, you'll be more driven to do things like acquire a house, pay off a mortgage, earn a status, earn salary. And that's your kind of your acquire drive kicking in. But once you get to say your 40s or 50s, once most of those sorts of needs have been met, then other things like drive to learn, that whole legacy, wanting to give back, wanting to feel you've made, made a difference, becomes far more important when your other drives have been met. You don't care about making a difference and leaving a legacy if you're still starving. It changes in response to the circumstances around you. So learned is not really the right word, but motivation does change. It's interesting you and I were talking about being in your 40s and, and what drives us and I typically will be interviewing when I'm in my role in the management consultancy I'm interviewing partners who will be they're usually in their 40s and they are exactly at that juncture where they have achieved a great deal professionally and they've probably earned quite a lot of money and they're, they're well established in terms of their family balance yeah. sheet and now it's about I need to do work I love and share their expertise and be thought leaders. Exactly. Back to your point about legacy. Yeah. Do you think it's, and this is with your psychology hat, is it an ideal or a must have to be passionate about what you do? It's definitely not a must have at all. I mean, I think if anything, passion can, can sometimes cloud um, and sometimes make you ineffective at what you do. Certainly, so if you look at research on entrepreneurship, the the guys I really respect for the work that they're doing on this is the UCL school. There's a guy called Gorkan Armatoglu that does a lot of work looking at this. And actually, you can have too much passion or vision or optimism, confidence. And actually, if you've almost got too much of it, but not enough of the other things like conscientiousness, ability to act on things, charm, all of the other things that kind of go alongside it, then actually probably passion on its own is going to lead you down the wrong path. It's also, I mean, it's really overrated, right? Because you can be really passionate about something, but actually that doesn't necessarily mean that there's a market or a demand for your passion. So I can be really passionate, for example, about fly fishing or gardening, but there's enough gardeners in the world. There's enough, you know, other people, if you like, in that boat that there's not necessarily, just because I'm passionate about something doesn't mean I can turn it into a job. It's a, it's a really good point. I mean, just related to that, if you actually look at sort of, again, things like research around who's the most successful and who performs best at work, who are the people that are most likely to get promoted, if we're using that as a metric, then actually passion's not in there. 
you know, the sort of things that come out are things like conscientiousness, things like proactivity. And I'd love to be able to say introversion, but it's not, you know, people who are extroverted do tend to do better. Now, you know, if you've got passion behind that, great. Um, and and if, if you're talking to career coaches, they will always say, you know, what are the things that you're interested in? I mean, it's a good starting point, but it's by no means the point that really predicts or will sustain success, really. So going back to how that would translate to an inter, a, a work interview for somebody, um, to, to just say that you want to do a role because you're passionate about the business will not be enough. It's far better to draw from your experience of where you have delivered and yeah. been effective in an organisation, thereby presumably showing some, some interest in what you do. Yeah, definitely, definitely. We've talked a little bit about how Vivo works. It sounds like from the, the stories that you've told me, what individuals will do after they've had a day with an expert is then go and, and just start to discover a little bit more and it sends them on a journey. How much insight do you think that somebody can reasonably expect to gain in a day's experience? Well, the evidence is that you can learn a huge amount. I think people think that there's almost too much to glean, but actually, just out of curiosity, have you ever eaten a rambutan? No, they're pretty, but I'm not going to touch one. Okay, but if I was to say, do you enjoy the taste of it? How would you know you'd try it? How long would it take you to work out if you liked it or not? <laughs> I'm that adventurous with food. First bite. First bite, because your taste buds are quite developed. You know what you like and what you don't like. Because the number of skills that you can apply to any job are quite limited, right? We're not having to master 35,000 skills. By the time you've worked, even for one, two, three years, you have a pretty strong understanding of what you do and don't like. So you can take your developed taste buds to apply to a new food sensation and decide if you like it or not quite quickly. The evidence would seem to be that with shadowing, you can establish if that's going to be a role that you, you want to take on. One of the examples I'll give is actually a company called Vanarama, who had huge turnover in its call centers. Mm -hmm. And it decided, right, this is, this is ridiculous. From now on, because everyone we make a job offer to will pretty much come in and then they'll leave us six months later. From now on, we're going to say, you cannot accept a job offer until you come in and shadow for a day. And so people came in and shadowed for a day, realized it may or may not have been the job that they thought it was going to be. And shock horror, about 35% of them were turning down the job offer. But then the ones who were accepting it were then staying for a lot longer, happier in the job because they knew what they were getting into. And so, yes, you can, you're not going to make every single decision because one day is too short. Hmm. But it's a hell of a lot better than nothing. Definitely. And as we get on in our lives, we tend to have stronger preferences as we go in confidence don't we but I'm somebody who very much relies on my instinct and my gut for things mm -hmm. I think the business people call it theory you um, but it's just how you're feeling about things what your emotional antenna is telling you I'm very much guided by that so I can imagine it would be hugely beneficial to somebody like me with strong preferences who's pretty clear about what they do want to do and what they don't want to do I am assuming that fundamental to your belief system is people can transform themselves. Oh my God, completely. I think at the moment there's almost too much emphasis on the fact that people believe they can't because emphasis tends to be placed on knowledge and experience. 
and not so much on the skill. If I was to use the analogy of tennis, I can explain the rules of tennis to you in five minutes. So I've given you the knowledge. However, the skill of a good tennis player takes years to develop. The skill of being a good salesperson, for example, empathy, listening skills, relationship building skills, all of those sorts of things can be transferred from one profession to another. And yet we can have someone who might be an amazing salesperson and I could be in the pharmaceutical industry and then look at them and go, you have no experience in the pharmaceutical industry. You have no network. You have no, no background, no experience. So therefore, we're going to write you off. But the reality is they can be the most amazing car salesman. Now, yes, it will take time to develop the knowledge, but those skills don't change. So if they can build relationships really well, if they listen, if they can empathize, then actually they will develop a network surprisingly quickly. And the point at which they will start to become useful may be a year down the line. However, you take a mediocre salesperson from the pharmaceutical industry and look at what they produce for you over 10 years, it's nowhere near as what a really good salesperson's from, say the auto industry that you've invested a year in to let them get up to speed, what they can start producing for you in five, six, seven, eight years. So the, the emphasis on knowledge and experience is incorrect. And we should be putting much more emphasis on the skills that very, very, very much are transferable. That is so encouraging. And I could not agree with you more. When I'm interviewing somebody, I'm looking for the transferable skills that they can bring. To pigeonhole people into vertical sectors and one position is so unhelpful and so non-2019. What are two things, Lucy, that you know for sure about what it takes to pivot in your career? Well, for sure, you need to take action. So I would say by all means, go and see a career coach. But if you spend too long doing power poses and some sort of tricks to try and build up your confidence, I can tell you categorically that that's an incredibly limiting way of moving yourself forward. Far better to throw yourself out there because confidence isn't developed in your head. If anything, that probably makes things worse. Again, let's take an analogy. I've never done a dinner party before. I've never tried this recipe but you do it. You have people come over. You realize that they're not there because of your fantastic cooking. But you've also learned maybe you don't cook the fish in quite that right way. The next time you do a dinner party, you're so much more confident on how it's going to run because you've done it before. You've got it down. You've got it down. And the thing is, as I say, the more that you think about it in your head, the more you big it up in a way, the more a bigger deal you make it. You just become more confident when you start doing and however that informs you, whether it's, it's a realization that actually this isn't right, well, far better to know that sooner rather than later. Again, if I look at Vivo and what I'm finding, about 55% of the time, it's actually mainly women will leave at the end of the day and they will say, I cannot believe I've waited five years to do this. If I knew what was involved five years ago, I would have done it by then. I, I've bigged it up in my mind to be this big, scary thing. And actually it's not. So again, if I, if I take a really crass example, so there was someone who was running a B&B, she wanted to take the step of opening a coffee shop, Police came up on, um, you know, on her street over in Ealing, and she was umming and ahhing, umming and ahhing it, but had been thinking about it for the last five years. But if you were to look at a job description, it might say things like, you know, experience of a point of sale terminal, knowledge of such and such coffee machine, having experience of dealing with difficult, whatever it might be, but you would look at a job description like that and say, I've never done it before, therefore I'm not gonna do it. She does it for a day, 
realizes, oh, look at the data you can get from this IZETL point of sale terminal. Really, really interesting. Oh, look, I know how to operate this coffee machine. Just having someone explain to you that this is the best one, the best reliability is unbelievably confidence building. So by the end mm. of the day, she's like, yeah, I can totally open a coffee shop. And mm. all of those points on a CV, I would never have been able to tick. At the end of the day, even though I wouldn't say I'm an expert, I certainly feel I can do it and I can acquire the skills pretty rapidly. So again, if I, when you were saying, you know, what can you really get in a day? You get a huge amount in a day. And the confidence of actually knowing that sometimes the person that you're spending time with really does know what they're talking about is hugely valuable. The other thing I would say is be prepared to fail. I think we're so... We're so worried and we're so hung up, if you like, on not admitting that we're not good at something. And that's just bullshit. It's actually so much easier to be friends with someone and to build a relationship with someone when they're a bit more human and when they're a bit less um, impressive all the time. You know, when you're changing and making a pivot, you do just have to prove yourself. But if you want to make a change, suck it up. Just do it. Swallow your ego and get on with it. And don't care what anybody thinks about what you do. No one really cares. And your buddies will just be more interested in the fact that instead of whining about it and saying, should I, shouldn't I, should I, shouldn't I, that you're actually doing something and learning anyway. They'll always be there to big you up. If they're a true buddy, they'll say, well, look, well done, you gave it a go. I'm so proud of you. Totally. We big up everything in our heads and we get so scared to just take a step forward because we forget to give ourselves permission to fail, don't we? And I know that sounds like a cheesy Instagram message, but it's the truth. It is the truth. You know, when you get into the startup world, it's quite, I don't know, it's quite heartening, really. Yeah, there's another place that's gone bust. There's another one that hasn't worked out. And it is, there is this mantra about if you're going to fail, fail fast. And I think it's actually pretty healthy, Maybe it's too long spent in that corporate environment that somehow treats failure as being something that's bad or something that, you know, can't be tolerated. Perhaps that's where it's from. Who knows? Maybe they need to spend a bit more time in the startup world. Lucy, you're incredible. How can we find you? Website is vivo.com. Just through my LinkedIn, actually. I don't think there are that many Lucy standings. No. Well, there's only one. There's only one Lucy standing. (laughs) I think you're amazing. Thank you for the message and thank you for being prepared to fail. And I'm just delighted to have taken up some of your precious time. It's been a really, really useful discussion. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. The Comeback Girl podcast and the blog at www.comebackgirl.com are entirely free resources. They're offered to encourage you in your return to work after a career break. My name's Laura Izard and as a career returner myself and deeply experienced recruiter, I'm all in for bringing other women back to work after career breaks. In the podcast, I share real-life stories of comeback journeys, practical advice on finding fulfilling work, and help with the all-important mindset and confidence required. I'd love you to leave a review today on iTunes to help spread the word. Women's careers today can feature pivots, rest, complete about-turns, and still be hugely impactful and filled with purpose. I'm a firm believer that your best work can be ahead after a career break. Follow Comeback Girl along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and the blog as you come back better than before.